Good morning. Blessed Resurrection Sunday, amen. I, uh, I don't know if I've ever honestly been more excited to be at church than this Sunday. And as I watched uh, you all come in, and, and some of you haven't been here for a while uh, because of the pandemic, uh, what, a, what a joy. Feels like we're home, amen? Feels like we're finally together as a family. It's been a long, hard year. I'm sure that some of us want to forget this past year. For many of our church family, it's, it's been a year of loss and transition. Probably for all of us, it's been a drain. Some of us have had pain and struggle unlike we have never seen before, and we've come to see ourselves in a a different light. No matter who we were this past year, it's all been different for everyone. There were bleak days and even darker nights. Questions like, would the world ever be the same come in our minds? Some of you may be thinking, even yet this morning, as good as it is to be here, will we ever have anything to hope for again, or questions like it. As we come to this Lord's Day, the one we call Resurrection Sunday, we find ourselves at least a little bit able to relate to those who had been following Jesus and participating in his ministry. In our text that Brian and Melissa read in in the one text, it was given from the New King James Version because it had these words, and they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, and in the New King James, it says, Rejoice! 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 If you have your Bibles, we're, we're going to be looking at Mark 16, but this morning, I want to concentrate on the word rejoice. You may have one, walked in here wondering, if there was anything to rejoice about. When we get to that position, we either become hardened or bitter or angry, or sometimes there's a few of us that could get into the perpetual grump mode. Or we could choose something else. We could look for things that would make us happy, only to find out when they lose their glitz, glamour, and appeal, they don't. I have good news for us this morning. I have something that I am ready, and you have to forgive me, but if you can't get excited on Easter morning, you can't get excited. But there's something to shout from the mountaintops and proclaim over the hill and through the veil. We have something to rejoice about this morning. This morning, you may think there's nothing to rejoice in. This morning, you may think that the last year was all messed up. This morning, you may walked in here with family problems. You may come here with struggles at work. 
You may have tough things before you. Your life may come becoming unraveled. But this morning, I can say to us, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Christ is risen. And he's risen indeed. Christ is risen and Christ is coming again. And Christ is going to make all things new. So let's rejoice. As I looked to prepare for the message this week, I I saw that the word rejoice literally means to be full of joy. Full of joy. Brother Jordan, this morning we can be full of joy because Christ is risen. We, he's coming again and he's going to make all things new. This morning I want to take those one by one and give us three applications to what that means. The first one. Christ is risen. I'm not sure we could really place ourselves in the early disciples' spot. We could imagine all that they'd went through. The world as they know it, they knew it, had been destroyed. And Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark 16 says, On that Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, Salome brought spices. They thought they were going to find a dead Jesus. Still yet, they hadn't really believed, so they might go and anoint him. It was very early, the first day of the week, the Bible says. And then it says, and they were saying one another, when they went there, it says, the sun had risen and they went to the tomb, verse 3, they were saying one to another, who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. As I was listening and preparing, that two and a half ton or two ton, two and a half ton stone, it wasn't just cracked open. It had been removed. The power of God had taken place in that tomb. They came and they saw and they were greeted by the angels. And then came the announcement, Christ is risen. They discovered that just as Jesus had foretold, his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection was just as he said and those two truths the old rug across and the tomb being empty would change their eternities and the course of humanity in their life and for everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ risen Savior the resurrection of Christ announced that God the Father was satisfied it was his final declaration that this was his son in whom he was well pleased. Let me help us to rejoice because this morning we can rejoice because the resurrection affirms that Jesus is the son of God just as he said he was. It affirms that he paid for all of our sins. It affirms that Jesus' atonement satisfied the holiness of God. It validates that the sacrifice that Christ gave on Calvary was acceptable. That's why we were singing in Christ alone. It talks about the wrath of God. It was there on the cross that the wrath of God was satisfied. And brothers and sisters, don't you ever be mistaken to think that Jesus was a martyr because he was not a martyr. He was a sacrifice and there's a big difference. He was an atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world. We can rejoice because those are true. We can rejoice because of the redemption of Christ. Let me give you a few things to shout and dance about this morning. And I'm almost being serious about that. 
We need to get a, a little Pentecostal in us on Resurrection Sunday because the redemption of Christ had delivered us from the guilt of sin. That's called our justification. The guilt of sin is gone, amen? He had delivered us from the wrath of God. That's called reconciliation. He had delivered us from the dominion of sin. We were singing about that this morning. Death in the grave and the power of sin does not have any power over us. Sin's reign is gone. And he delivered us from the presence of the power of darkness. Here's the good news we are no longer in chains bound to Satan. Amen. We've been delivered from that kingdom and we're in a new kingdom. A new kingdom has come. That's why we can be full of joy. We say Christ is risen. I got a little nerdy and geeky and that's kind of odd for me because I murdered the English language most of the time. But I was looking at the difference between Christ has risen, which is true, and Christ is risen. And one person said that, that it has risen means it was a past event that we memorialize and celebrate. He had done something. But that's not what we're doing here this morning. Let me give you a different theological punch. Christ is risen. Christ is alive. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father Almighty this morning in resurrection power so we can rejoice. Amen? We can be full of joy. Christ is coming again. Just as the prophets of old foretold in the first advent, Jesus has told us of his second advent. This time the stable will be replaced with a stallion. This time the announcement to a few will be replaced with the blast of a great trumpet. This time the fragility of a form of a baby will be replaced with the unmistakable glory of the King of Kings when that day comes. Just, jot, just jot down quickly Titus 2. You could go home and read it, but let me just, for the sake of brevity, let me just tell you this. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul writing to Titus says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That's his first advent. That's the coming and his grace. That's what we know is the grace of God. God came in the form of an incarnate son, Jesus Christ, and he came to bring grace to us, to forgive us of our sins. And Brother Larry, he came to provide salvation to us. But here's another good news that we can be full of joy this morning. There's something yet to happen. He's coming back. And in verse 13, it says, For the glory of our great God and Savior, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, our great, and Savior, great God and Savior. Brother Jake preached about Palm Sunday and did a wonderful job last week, amen. All glory goes to, to God, but he did a great job, amen. And I'm grateful for young men preaching the gospel. But last week he, he talked about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. There's coming a day, on his coronation day, he'll ride in on a white horse. He entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a servant, but when he returns, he's coming as the king of kings. He came into Jerusalem on shouts of Hosanna. And this time when he comes, we will say, worthy is the lamb. Amen. He came where palms were cast at his feet. And this morning I had some quiet time. And I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, if I could ever have anything good to cast at your feet when he comes, as we will cast our crowns before our great and mighty king. Jesus came the first time 
in grace over 2,000 years ago. He was a real man. He really died. He really redeemed us from our sins. And he really allowed us to live this zealous, passionate life for good deeds. The aim and the purpose of God's grace in Jesus Christ was for that. But we can rejoice this morning. He's coming again in all of his glory to gather the elect to save us from the final wrath of God, to give us rest in his kingdom. If you haven't had anything yet to hope for this morning, let me give you a few things from Titus 2. It will be a blessed hope. When Jesus comes for those who are saved, for those of you that know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it will be a blessing, not a curse. Do you realize he's coming bringing blessings? It will be a visible appearance. There will be no doubt this time. It won't be just a few shepherds. It won't be just to a few people that he's going to appear. I can't wait to the day that the skies part and the trumpet shouts and we won't mistake it. You'll know for sure because he's coming and everybody in the world will know. It will be the greatest spectacle in all of creation. It'll be a glorious hope. It'll be unlike anything that we've ever seen. We can rejoice that Christ has risen. We can rejoice that he's coming again. And let me give you a few more things that this resurrection allowed for us to know. That he's going to make all things new again. Again, just another scripture to jot down. Revelation chapter 21. John the Revelator is telling a beautiful image of what heaven's going to be like. And in that 21st chapter, he gives us a few things, and I'm just going to make a brief mention of them. But the first thing he says in Revelation chapter 21 is he's going to make us spiritually and morally new and glorious. He speaks of an image of a bride adorned for her husband. That's what God's doing when he returns. He will make us as a bride, not just spiritually new and partial, but in whole, we can rejoice that there's coming a day where the glory of God will finally make us that beautiful bride for Christ when he returns. The second thing is he's going to make us physically and bodily new. Our lives can be full of joy because we can hope that one day all things will be made new, including our body. There's a, there's a point about this resurrected body of Christ. In verse 4 of chapter 21, I, I've read it many times in, in, the, in a funeral service or at a graveside. It talks about no more death, no more pain, no more tear. But what that means is our body's going to be changed because this body will die and this body hurts and this body aches and this body has pain. But Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, we will be transformed, our lowly bodies will be transformed into a glorious body. What body? The body like Jesus that was resurrected from the dead. There will be no more pain. There will be no more dying. This former life has passed away and there will be a new body. Amen. What a great thing. The third thing he'll make new is creation. Revelation Chapter 21 and verse 1 says, he saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former had passed away. Creation itself, and you can see it, is under the bondage and the curse of sin. But when Jesus returns, 
He will make even creation new. And finally, He will make our relationship with Him new and glorious. Probably my favorite verse in Revelation 21 is this. They shall be His people. God Himself will be with them. Let the Holy Spirit fill your life when God makes all things new. He's going to make you spiritually flawless as the crystal sea. He will give you a body unlike anything that you can imagine. He will renew all of creation. He will take all evil and pain out of it. But one of the greatest things that he's going to do is he's going to put our relationship in a way that we've never seen it. We will see the resurrected Christ in all of his glory there in heaven. And we will bow and we will be worshiping him. And he will be our God and we will be his people in all of perfection. Now what do you do with those things? I want to give you three application points this morning. First, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. If you look in verse 6, it's, it says that, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. Or in some translations it says, do not be afraid. Why do we not have to be afraid? Because the resurrection makes it clear we have nothing to be fearful of. If we live this day in light of the resurrection, and when we say in light of, that means because of certain knowledge known or considering something. For certain knowledge. So if we know that Jesus is resurrected, we don't have to fear because we no longer fear death. Church, hear me loud and clear. Jesus defeated death. It's gone. It's no longer anything that we need to fear. When we look death in the eye, we should say like the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ, and you finish it with me, and to die is gain. We no longer have to fear the devil. Of course Satan is going to tempt us and struggle with us because he knows the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But let me give you the news that he knows and that we need to know and that we need to claim is that Satan has been defeated. We can rejoice. We can be full of joy because the battle is the Lord's and he has won. And he's given us everything for life and godliness. I like this next application. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the devil. And you don't have to fear that Jesus is going to desert you. He makes a promise. Let me give you a few promises that Jesus made. He promises us in Matthew 28 that he would be with us even to the end of the age. He promises us in Hebrews 13, 5 that he will never leave us or forsake us. He promises us in John 6 that he will not lose one of his own. He promises us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from him. Aren't those great promises? He's never going to desert you. He's never, ever going to do that. If I could just get our hearts and minds and soul, 
centered around those truths. Whatever you're fearing this morning, you don't have to. Let me give you another application point. We not only have nothing to fear, we have something to tell. Mark 16, verse 7. I know that David Robertson thinks of this. I thought about this when I was working on the message. These are the most interesting words in this gospel account. Look, look. I don't know if you've noticed it, but go tell his disciples. And we all know that that's what they said. But notice what Mark's account adds. And Peter. Peter by name. You see, those first at the tomb had something to tell. They had something to tell Peter. Do you know why? You remember why? Peter had denied Jesus. He had left him. He had done everything he said he wasn't going to do. The resurrection of Jesus should be one story we never get tired of telling. That's why we just finished singing that song, I Love to Tell the Story. We're called to tell. But just don't think of it as a call to tell. This morning, you have the privilege of living the rest of your life of telling. You have the honor of telling about this story. We have the joy of telling. Can I just... Can I just prod for just a moment? I think the reason sometimes we're all a little bit grumpy and a little bit unhappy is because we aren't telling the story enough. We're telling everybody about us. We're telling everybody about our problems. That's, that's me, right? Brother Tom, you know that's, that's a tendency I have. But brother, let me tell you something. The joy comes when I tell people about Jesus. And when I was working on this sermon, as I've been working on it for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, you know what he started to do in my life? He started to remind me when I was someplace. I was picking up the donuts yesterday, and I saw the most perpetual. This, this is not in the sermon. I probably shouldn't even say it. There was an elderly lady walk in. It was late. She wanted a particular donut. And Marilyn, she was the grumpiest lady I'd ever seen in my life. She just literally went berserk on this lady. And I stood there because she didn't get the donut she wanted. And I thought, tomorrow morning, I get to tell a whole group of people, whoever shows up, that Jesus is risen, that he's coming again, and he's going to make all things new. And you know, it was there that the Holy Spirit prompted me in my heart, and I probably would have never done it. And I've been that grumpy lady before myself. And I looked at all of them, and I said, you know what? I have a hope that's different. Tomorrow morning I get to go celebrate what Easter's all about. And those two, one lady looked at me right in the eye, and another girl, just young girl, like, what's he talking about? I love to tell the story. Do you love to tell a story? Verse 3, I love to tell a story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell a story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's holy word. That's our story. That's our message. The, the buzzword is narrative. The media is always talking about a narrative. Well, brothers and sisters, let me give us a narrative to go tell the world. Here's our narrative. The grave has been defeated. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. And Christ will make all things new 
And that can be your hope if you repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, that's what we're supposed to do. If you're a believer, you have the privilege of telling how Jesus saved you, of how Jesus changed your life, of how Jesus will change their lives. Give me just a little bit of latitude this morning. I want to talk about a testimony. We talk about testimonies a lot. Here's the definition of testimony, right from Google. It means a first-handed authentication, authentication, that's easy for me to say, it's a first-handed fact or evidence of something that you know about. Well, let me tell you something. You are a first-handed fact of how Jesus changed your life. Sister Ashley, I still remember when Jesus changed your life in how you told me. And Kim, nothing could take away that evidence. It's an outward sign. That's a, that's a definition of a testimony. We're living signs of a resurrected Savior. That's where the joy is, Brother Howard, is when you walk with the Lord for 90 years, you're an outward sign of what Jesus has done in your life. It's an open acknowledgement. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said he decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the only thing he was going to acknowledge. Our joy becomes full when we can say with Paul, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's called evangelism, dear friends. In a few days or a week, you're going to get a book titled Evangelism. The author says the definition of evangelism is teaching or heralding, proclaiming, or preaching the gospel, the message of God that leads to salvation, with an aim, a hope to desire or a goal to persuade or to convince, to invert. We can have so much joy when we can tell others about Jesus. And finally, the third application, we have some place to go. One of the most interesting things about all gospel accounts of the resurrection is there was this go command. Literally, I understand it. It means as you are going. As you are going, tell about this resurrection. In the next few days after the resurrection, Jesus would issue what he's called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. I saw a study, and probably one of the reasons this point is in this message, is 51% of all churchgoers are unfamiliar with the concept or the terminology of the Great Commission. Let us not be part of the 51%. If you've never heard what the Great Commission is this morning, it is simply this, that Jesus said we should go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching the world all that Jesus commanded us. The basic meaning of commissioning is a responsibility to someone. Jesus has passed on the responsibility on this glorious day for us to go and tell. We now bear the responsibility. We now have been commissioned with this news. 
we're going to, if God tarries, if we are here and he gives us life, we can come back 52 times additional next year to worship. And 52 times we get to leave this place and go and tell. The command is to make disciples as you're going. In other words, brothers and sisters, on this Resurrection Sunday, let me give you a point of application. It is not about setting and soaking and souring. It's about going and telling. We're not to keep this to ourselves. If we're true followers of Jesus, if we really know what the resurrection means, if we really believe, if we really believe it's about life and death, if we really believe this Easter message is about heaven and hell, we'll go and tell. As I conclude, let me say this. I'm so glad to see you all. So glad we're back together, almost, as a church family. We've been cooped up long enough, amen? And there was a good reason for it. But if we could use this Resurrection Sunday, I think the clarion call is clear. We need to stop being cooped up and start once again going and telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Satan has had us on hold for a year, but no longer. Amen? Let's go and tell. Let's go into all the world and tell. I want to conclude by trying to explain the gospel, and then we'll prepare for the Lord's table. On your tables, there's a Bible. On most of your tables, there's a Bible. And um, I'd like for all those Bibles to disappear today. Don't leave them. Someone grab them. Put it in your car. And this week as you're going, or next week as you're going, or as God brings it to mind, just give the Bible to somebody. Why are you doing that? Uh, because I've been praying for you and God told me, or I just thought maybe you needed a copy of God's Word. There's also a couple, I didn't have enough for everybody, there's a couple pamphlets on there, what is the gospel? Don't leave those. There's several of those. Put it in your, put it in your pocket or your purse and just lay that on the table someplace. And give it to somebody. It's an easy way of going and telling. But I want to conclude today making sure that everybody understands the gospel message. God created man and woman in his image to be in a perfect place called paradise. They were created for his glory. But as in Genesis 3, as we preached a few, a few uh, months ago, something happened. Man and woman were tempted and sin entered the world. And from that point on, the Bible is clear that in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God had only one plan. And in Ephesians 1, we learned of that plan from the beginning of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he had a plan to send the Messiah into the world. His son would take on human flesh, live a perfect life. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That baby of Bethlehem became the Christ of Calvary. He was the atoning sacrifice to do what no man could do for himself, to save us. Dear friends, you cannot save yourself. No matter how good you are, 
no matter how many times you come to church, no matter how much money you put in the offering plate, no matter how nice you are, no matter how much you read the Bible, no matter how much you do any of those things, you can't save yourself. But Jesus lived a life as a spotless lamb, a lamb that was going to be given for a sacrifice. That was his life, his mission, and finally his breath, his death, to bring about salvation. So, Jesus died on Calvary, just outside of Jerusalem. It was a real place. It was a physical place. It really happened. And there on that hill, as he was hoisted to a cruel Roman cross, God the Father poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus, who became our payment for our sin, and he delivered us from the penalty of our sin. And when he cried, it is finished. It was finished. And so this morning as we come to the Lord's table, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that you know what it means to be saved. That you have new life in Christ. It means believing what I just said. That's what the Bible says. It means putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did on Calvary. It means repenting Turning from yourself and your sin and from your shame and turning from your way and turning to God and trusting Christ and saying, I only believe that my salvation is in Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner. I know I need saved. And Lord, this morning, I'm bowing my heart before you as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And I ask you to save me. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible gives us the promise, you will be saved. We've been preaching through Ephesians, and I close with this verse. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This morning, are you saved? Do you know this blessed hope? Are you trusting in the resurrected Christ? If not, as I pray and as you prepare for the Lord's table, this will be the moment that you give it all. We're going to sing that song, Jesus Paid It All. When you sing that, that will be your, your song of affirmation. Would you bow with me? Great and glorious Father, I come to you in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I have attempted as feebly as, as, as it was to proclaim the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate that Christ is now seated at the right hand of you, Father Almighty. And I pray this morning that, that these words have not fallen on deaf ears. I pray that it doesn't matter how long someone's come to this church. It doesn't matter if it's the first time they've walked in here. It doesn't matter, Lord. It doesn't matter because this is the moment that you have for them that you sovereignly planned and providentially ordained for them to hear the good news. And so, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would prompt in their hearts, if they have not yet accepted you as Lord and Savior, they would do so even now. They would just simply pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. I give you my life. And I want to live every moment from this day forward trusting in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said,